Google is really, really, really valuing a streamlined, very fast loading, like highly accessible performance focused, like almost minimalist, I would say, like in my experience, uh, type of website experience for readers. And one of those key metrics that they really, really care about right now is time on page. Welcome to Social Post, a podcast brought to you by Meet Edgar. Each week, we bring you a guest to inspire your creativity, breathe new life into your marketing strategy, and get you motivated to take action in your business. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned entrepreneur, you'll walk away feeling like you took your social media marketing multivitamin. Enjoy the interview and remember, what's possible for them is possible for you. And we can't wait to see your success. This episode of Social Post is brought to you by me, Edgar. That's right, we're sponsoring our own podcast. We are the social media automation tool that saves you eight hours a week on your marketing strategy and gets you off the content creation treadmill. If your social media could use a makeover, come try our category-based evergreen schedule today. We're offering a free month to Social Post listeners when you use the code SOCIALPOST upon checkout. Now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back, Social Post listeners. We are really excited to be joined by Ryan Robinson today, who is going to talk to us about content creation and driving traffic to your content. He is the perfect person to give us insights on this because he has grown his side hustle blog to over 4 million readers a year. And I know we all want to be able to brag about those kind of numbers. So we're excited to pick his brain. So I'll go ahead and pass it over to Ryan real quick to introduce himself a little bit more, and then we'll get into a fun conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. I'm very familiar with Edgar, love the product, um, have used it myself a lot. So this is great. I'm glad it's finally happening. Nice. So let's start out with one of the questions that I know every content creator has. If you had the number one tip for how to get more traffic to your blog these days, what would you focus on? Since it's no longer a practice of just keyword stuffing and SEO, it's no longer the fact if you put out a link on Twitter that people click on it, where should we really focus on one tip that you can give us? <laughs> Choosing just one is really insanely difficult for me. Um, so I'm going to give you that caveat because my very close runner up, I'm just going to mention real fast is that I think if you're able to build an authentic community on social media or rather like one social media platform, at least to start, then that can be by far one of the best, most sustainable traffic sources. But, you know, for me personally, like I've really leaned into my own superpower of just being able to like really strike the best balance between checking off all the like on page SEO best practices well for, for what tends to be honestly hyper long form content, like 5,000 plus words. Um, and then also just doing, this is my number one thing, doing a ton of relationship building to where I end up guest posting or find like really cool win-win other opportunities to collaborate with other people who have great sites with similar audiences and, high domain authority. Um, but that tends to manifest itself the most, I would say, as guest posting. Interesting. Very cool. So you mentioned the length of your blog post these days being like 5,000 yes. words, did you say? Um, do you Rarely feel like below. Those, yeah. Do you feel like those longer blog posts are leading to more traffic and leading to be found better? Is there a perfect length or is there no run one right great answer for that? 
I think you're right about there's not a perfect answer. Okay. I think it's highly contextual based on who your readers are, mm -hmm. what the exact topic of the content is, how competitive the keyword phrase is. Um, honestly, lots of variables, I think, dictate how long your content should be. But I'm also a big fan of believing that there's not a perfect length for anything. And just because, you know, maybe today Google's ranking the top 10 posts and they're all a thousand words, that doesn't mean you can't come in and supplant those results with something that's like five or 10,000 words long, right? If you, if you have a really good hunch and ideally some research about who your readers are and how you can best satisfy them. But I think like one really powerful thing that I've been experimenting with this year and want to do a lot more heading into 2021 is like really focusing on the combination of written content with a YouTube video Ooh. and pairing that together right on a blog post, embedding the video. I think there's some, some like really unspoken magic going on behind the scenes with when Google detects, you know, embedded YouTube links and a channel owned by the website owner. I think there's some, some magic going on there, but I think you can, you can get away with having shorter form written content if you're also satisfying the, you know, education needs or informational needs of your readers in other ways, whether it be video or, I've seen people do some really cool stuff. Like uh, Mark Manson comes to mind as someone who offers an audio version of at least you know his most important content, where you can just kind of play and listen like it's a podcast. So I think there's something to be said for offering like multiple different formats and being very thoughtful about the length of your content. I find I'm I'm trimming a lot of my articles that are in the twenty thousand word range. I'm I'm taking content out very thoughtfully these days. Interesting. Cool. And you're saying, so I love this idea of offering people to be able to consume your content in multiple formats because some people like watching videos, some people like reading. You want to satisfy everyone, that's for sure. Um, so when you're actually doing this sort of video on the blog post, are you just basically talking about that topic or are you just like reading the blog post in that video? Is it the exact same content or is it like complementary to the blog post? You just gave me an idea. I, I have not done a video where I read the blog post. I, and I don't know if people would want to watch that, to be honest. I feel like that does work really well, though, if you're doing a podcast format or you want to offer an audio version. But for the videos, I tend to, like, for example, I have an article that's about how to name a blog. And uh, in the written article, it's super deep, goes through tons of different activities for generating interesting names that kind of, you know, fit well with your niche and relate to your audience that you want to connect with. Um, and so I found that the best way for me to do a video, at least for that post, was to just honestly talk through my experience with these various different naming techniques. Um, and I personally find that some of the best magic actually comes from riffing after having just bullet points um, mm, nice. to guide the progression of the video. But yeah, I, I can't do... Uh, my, my best insights, I'd say, come from unplanned lines. Yeah, I feel like people can almost feel that energy sometimes. So that makes a lot of sense of just yeah. having a really candid conversation with someone can have the best feel to it. Um, so if you have a bunch of educational content and you have all of this great sort of community building on social media and you're getting traffic to your blog, 
that's really great, but sometimes we need that blog post to actually convert people into paying customers. Do you have any tips that our community can use if they've built the trust, they have an engaged community and they're getting traffic, how we can make sure we're paying attention to the right numbers and how we can make sure we're getting people to actually convert into paying customers once they reach our blog? Uh, yes. I, I think like one of the things I've learned the most in working with people who are relatively new to blogging or maybe coming from like a more creative endeavor and into starting their blog on the side, I find that there's really a lot of overlap with creative people wanting to blog, build up something on the side, see where it goes. Um, but one thing I really find is that these people uh, tend to not be natural salespeople or natural marketers. And one of the biggest lessons that I keep going over, and I like going over it, but I keep going over with people is, is just how much you really have to ask people mm. to take the action you want. And I, I like to, to say that that ask should come in the form of a mutual value exchange. So like, for example, for my blog, I, I always, always, always on at least important articles when there's a direct connection to offering some sort of lead magnet. I will always have that ask from me to you to you know, download this template or sign up for this free mini course related to this subject. If you, you, know, if you can't read the entire 20,000 words in one sitting, um, take the course and it's free, come join. And you have to repeatedly ask people. And, and I think like there's, there can be a fine line between being abrasive about it and annoying and I'm not personally a fan of like pop-ups or the exit intent like okay. thing that kind of jumps out and scares you. Um, but I think you can you can find the right balance that feels good for you and for your audience and for your topics. But yeah, don't be afraid to ask people to take the action you want. And that's a huge that has been a huge part of my journey as a creator, like realizing that people don't know what action to take until you ask them. And whether that's signing up for your email list, which I think is a really important metric to keep in mind and like value and, and nurture those relationships. But also once you have something to sell, like you really got to ask people to buy and place that trust in you. That makes a lot of sense. And an ask doesn't have to come across as sleazy at all. And I love yeah. that reminder to our listeners for sure. So when yeah, you you're don't have to have like the little spinning wheel of fortune thing on, on your blog sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Um, so I love all these like design reminders too, because I think we're inundated with <laughs> pop-ups on people's sites and we're like, wait a minute, do I need a pop-up everywhere? But you've obviously had a lot of really great success converting people um, to sign up for your course, like you said, without this. So what other design tips might you have that you can actually give our followers of like where to put that call to action or like how to make sure that people are actually reading your blog when the attention span online is so small today? I mean, it is a challenge and ask me next month, ask me next year. I might have a different answer for you, <laughs> but like today I have really optimized my blog for creating what I think is the best user experience. And I, I've like tried my best to really test that and like listen to what people have to say and make changes regularly based on what I'm learning and seeing. But yeah, I, I do think that involves like at least sometimes, removing a lot of the things that you personally find annoying about other internet experiences, but not always. I'm, I'm learning to like never say never about things like exit intent pop-ups because I'm not always necessarily my target audience. Like I, I, there's overlap for sure, but 
people are different. So I, I think like, at least from a best practices standpoint, like Google's really, 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 and, and I always view things through a lens of organic search. So forgive me if it's not as applicable to, you know, social media traffic, but Google is really, really, really valuing a streamlined, very fast loading, like highly accessible performance focused, like almost minimalist, I would say, like in my experience, uh, type of website experience for readers. And one of those key metrics that they really, really care about right now is time on page. So it's really important. I think long form content can sort of satisfy the goal of keeping people on your page. If your article is longer, like naturally they'll, you know, maybe want to read it, but not so long that it intimidates them. And I, I find that when I have these hyper long form articles, it's really important for me to have some sort of option for them to, you know, take this learning offline on their own time, whether it's just a simple PDF um, digital download of the blog post itself, where you go and create something, you know, like a free course that drips out the information over time. Um, I think that's really important to the experience on the page for your readers. And I would say like, start with your most important articles. Don't do it for everything. I don't do it for everything. Um, but I think, yeah, having that call to action, like making that ask for people that will honestly benefit lots of them. Um, like within the first few paragraphs of your blog post is always super important for me. Um, okay. Just having that somewhere near the top and then repeating it with some regularity, like when it makes sense. Um, you don't want to just be half call to actions, half content that that turns into more of the like, you know, online publication experience. And it feels like ads once you get to a certain point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned time on site as well as site speed being very important these days. Are there a ways that like we can check this on our blog or we can improve this on our blog um, easily using tools that you would suggest or any other tips for how we could improve this? 100%. Um, cool. Within Search Console or even just if you Google search, Google Page Speed Insights, um, they have like a host of totally awesome free tools that that give you basically, you know, on a page by page basis within Search Console, you can view kind of like site wide stuff and like maybe pinpoint really like interesting insights that you can make changes about. But if you just do the Page Speed Insight uh, Page Speed Insights tool, then you can plug in the URL of your blog posts and they'll spit out a score on a, a scale of zero to 100 for these, you know, performance accessibility, which has a lot to do with like the color contrasts you choose between like text color, background color. I mean, it gets crazy nuanced, but I've been able to see like a direct result in more traffic, higher organic search rankings for my content, just by like getting all those scores as close to a hundred as you can. Very cool. We'll go ahead and put that in the show notes and definitely check that out. That sounds like a really easy yes. win for our you know, listeners to be able to improve it's that free, speed. It just takes a little time. <laughs> yeah, nice. Very good. Um, cool. So I am very curious in the idea of how you are getting the keywords that are getting found in Google. You mentioned that you're very much big on Google search, organic search these days, and getting that SEO. Now we can all just kind of brainstorm keywords that are followers might be searching in order to learn the topics that we're an expert in. But are there other ways that I can make sure that I'm really targeting keywords for my ideal audience? 
100%. I mean, I think the, at the end of the day, the best answer is always ask them, talk to them, like go to these, (laughs) yeah, go to these Facebook groups, like engage with them on Twitter. Like your audience is out there in so many different places. And if you just start with honest conversation and uh, I mean, observation really like listen to what they're talking about. Like Join Facebook groups related to, you know, Twitter if you have a blog that you want to talk about Twitter and see what people are discussing. And you're going to get insights that might be good blog posts to write about. And that might be is when it comes into play with a tool like Ahrefs or Moz and you can plug it in and check keyword volume and balance it with how competitive it is. Um, but I, I also take a lot of, I'm not ashamed to admit this, take a lot of inspiration from you know what my competitors or sites in my others in my space are covering um it doesn't always inform what i cover in the months to come but i can at least take a decent you know amount of confidence that like okay if this person who runs like a really smart business in my observation is writing about this topic like this might be something i might want to cover so i'll kind of throw it into an ideas tab and and then I'll, I'll eventually get to it, do my keyword research, determine if it's like a, you know, a good fit from a difficulty standpoint to rank for within a few months. Um, but yeah, I find that I, I get a lot of inspiration from the cool stuff I see other people in my space doing. And I don't really love the word competitors either because I think everyone's like, everyone in this space who's genuine in this space is out there trying to actually help people, right? And that kind of healthy competition of who can be the best, most useful, helpful person is awesome. Oh, that's such a good mindset to have about that. I really enjoy that um, thought of quite a bit. The, the abundance versus scarcity. Yep. That's, that's that's how I think on. of it. Collaboration over competition, however you want to say it. I totally agree. That's the way that you have to think about it online. Very nice. Um, so thinking about blogging and social media, one of the most important things that we can do is write a really effective title for our blog, because we all know we scroll past articles. The ones that make us stop have a headline. Sometimes we'll share them out without even reading it if it's an effective headline. So can you give us Especially on Facebook. Oh yeah, for sure. Do you have any tips for how you come up with really strong headlines to grab people's attention? For sure. I, I think that I have to give a shout out to CoSchedule. They have such a good headline analyzer tool that that I've used for many, many years just to kind of like gut check a headline that feels mm-hmm. feels right to me. I want to make sure it kind of ticks the boxes for the right type of like emotional sentiment. Um, I find that most of the headlines I write usually have a number somewhere involved in there. I think there's something like visually arresting about having a number, um, maybe having parentheses, having a year can really establish relevancy. Like, hey, this article was written or updated this year, clearly. Um, But yeah, like I, I tend to really focus my titles on showing potential readers that this article will solve your problem or will give you the insight, the advice that you're looking for. And and I actually have a really in-depth article about how to write a headline. Um, and there's a ton of cool examples and ideas in there. That's one I need to do a video soon for because that sounds really fun. Nice. Yeah, those are really good tips. I don't know why, but you're so right. Numbers, lists, years, stuff like that does always catch your eye on yeah. uh, the social networks especially. Um, and I think cool. you have to balance like 
playing the game of what kind of ta uh, like title headline will get people to click. And mm. then, you know, it's sort of like offering candy and then giving them, you know, the vegetables they really need once they're on the post. So oh I think God, it's so good. <laughs> another example of like, it's okay to kind of go beyond your comfort zone and writing a title that's, you know, maybe catchier, grabbier, more enticing, but then, you know, meeting the needs the right way with the actual content on the page. Yeah. So the title is what they want and then the content is what they actually need. That's yeah. really a brilliant way of thinking about it. Very cool. Um, so as we discuss things on social media, a lot of the things me Edgar teaches about is becoming an expert. And that means going really deep within one knowledge source and not diversifying too much, especially as you're getting started. On blogging, though, I know it can be hard to think about the fact that if we write too many articles about the same topic, sometimes those things can actually hurt our rankings um, and make sure that like those blog posts are kind of like dragging the traffic away from each other. Do you have any tips for if you want to go really deep, let's say for like me, Edgar, we want to go so deep on social media, how we can make sure we're writing and not actually getting in the way of our blog posts? <laughs> Yes. I mean, I think it helps to keep like a really carefully curated editorial calendar that that still includes, you know, everything that's published and live. Right. And and I like to think of it from like, you know, columns standpoint, like you can have the keyword phrase, the title. Um, but yeah, every time you're you're coming to your content calendar and you're adding a new idea to it, like do a scan or a search if you have tons of posts. Um, do a search and you know, how many times does the word marketing come up if you're considering writing something about you know, Facebook marketing? Um, if you have three articles that are somewhat related to Facebook marketing already, I probably wouldn't necessarily write a brand new one on it. I'd, I'd actually be thinking about ways you could combine those three existing articles maybe into a greater type of guide. So I tend to like really focus on content pillars and, and I always like, make sure that anything new I want to write fits into one of these like big buckets. And, you know, mine tend to be within the blogging space, at least they tend to be writing, driving traffic, monetizing. Um, nice. And from that perspective, I know like when I get a new idea, like it has to fit into one of those buckets and I'll always just make sure that checking with Ahrefs or, and, you know, search console, seeing like if there's, potentially a post where there might be some overlap or some keyword cannibalization. Like I'll just do a quick check to see what kinds of keywords Google is telling me this article already on my site is, you know, ranking for. And uh, that kind of informs for the most part, like what, what my decision should be if there's something somewhat similar. But I mean, gosh, to be honest, you got to get to hundreds and hundreds of articles in my experience, uh, before you start like really cannibalizing. Okay, cool. And when you're doing your content calendar, do you have any tips for like how to make sure that you're um, using that time effectively? Do you plan a whole year at a time? Do you do it like quarterly? Talk to me about your strategy behind that. Mm. Mine today is like such a, a natural ongoing thing where I have like I, I guess this does answer your question. I probably have about three months worth of ideas um, that are in various different stages of being outlined by me or worked on by, you know, one of the writers that helps me with first drafts or that I'm editing slowly. Um, so yeah, I, th I think it's, it's healthy to 
have a nice buffer of stuff you know you'll write for about a quarter. Um, but I'll often like just get be struck with an idea or like a reader question or a reader comment. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to answer that like today. And so I think being flexible with things maybe jumping around in your calendar as as fits with, you know, your unique schedule and needs and and whatnot is is a healthy practice. Yeah, that's a good reminder that if you spend the time planning it out, but something comes up, things can always be shifted. That's really yes. smart. Um, cool. So as we wind down here, do you have any other blogging tools or blogging recommendations that are like in your toolbox as must-haves for bloggers these days? Whew. I really, really, really want to drive home what I believe the importance is of guest blogging. Um, oh, yeah. Not just from the perspective of acquiring links from established authoritative websites, because I think that's one of the most important things about guest blogging. But the second thing I, I would say equally important is uh, the relationship building component. I think like these are people, when you reach out to someone who's a content marketer at, you know, I don't know, whatever online tool you want to get a link from their blog. When you reach out to that person, that's a real person. And they are going to be, you know, maybe working at this company for a year, two years, three years, but they go somewhere else next. And the chances are like the more that these relationships kind of build up and compound. And if you're doing it really thoughtfully, meaningfully, um, and actually connecting with the person, then they'll want to help you. They will think of you um, when they get to their next place too. So that's something that I've just been like really grateful to see come around as like a happy, virtuous cycle for me. Um, just always having good people at great websites that want to do collaborations with me. And I find that my outreach for like new stuff just is so much slower today than it was in the early days. But I think when you are early in your blog, it's, it's okay and encouraged to be like really systematic about, you know, hitting some activity goals of sending five pitches a week um, and seeing the downstream results trickle out based on, you know, how your pitch is converting and how the person's receiving it and how the guest blog post quality turns out. Like there's, there's lots to learn with this whole process, um, but it's fun. I also have a really long guide on this topic that I got to do a video for too. Nice. So many videos. Um, so when you're actually cold pitching for the first time, as you mentioned at the beginning, being systematic about that, mm -hmm. can you give us like one tip of like, what do you think has worked really well for you when you're sending out these emails to someone you don't have a relationship with first? Yes. Short emails. Short. Nothing okay. scares <laughs> me away as the, the recipient of like 30, 40, 50 pitches every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing scares me more than a really long email that I can't immediately tell what the intention or the purpose is. And, and I think there's many things that can be said about the exact words and the sentiment you use in these emails, but I've always found that just something that's relatively short, straight to the point, but you know, also shows a measure of empathy or that you spend some time actually researching the company or the person that you're emailing. That's honestly been the most useful uh, way to cold pitch myself is like going to the person I want to email, checking them out on like Twitter or LinkedIn, um, seeing what they seem to enjoy. Um, and then maybe weaving in something short about that too, like in the intro, just uh, something that gets them to pause and think about your email and 
in comparison to, you know, the other 30 they get that day is really important. And I think subject line also, last thing, subject line, like, don't make it a game. Like, don't be long. Like, I, the most successful subject line for me is collaboration idea or, you know, quick question, like something that's, that's not, you know, <laughs> misleading, but also not like the title of a blog post. I see lots of emails pop up in my, in my inbox that are pitches for guest posts and they just like list out the title of the guest post they're pitching, which it seems odd to me, but. Oh, yeah. Those are all such actionable tips. I love how many things we can take action on from this chat today, guys. If you're not going out there and collaborating with people, this is something you can do for free. You have access to Twitter and LinkedIn to find these people and send them those pitches. Make sure you go to that site speed to make sure that your site is up to speed. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Get yourself a content calendar so you feel prepared and you know those keywords you're going after. Again, all of these can be done. You just have to sit down and do them and they'll improve your blogging so much. This has been so great today, Ryan. Is there any last tips that you can give us that you'd like to share with the community as well as ending on where people can find you if they want to go further with your information? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. This is like my, my favorite topic to geek out on. So I, <laughs> nice. I appreciate you giving me a platform to do that. Um, but yeah, my, my blog is just ryrob.com, R-Y-R-O-B. And I have a crazy amount of free resources um, some of it you can read, some of it you can watch, some of it you can download. I have courses there as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my home base. And thank you. Perfect. This has been really great today. Thank you, Ryan. And guys, if you have any feedback at all, be sure to tag me, Edgar, or go and find Ryan on his website, RyRob. And we can't wait to continue the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in and be sure to keep the conversation going with us on social. We're at Meet Edgar on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So let us know your biggest takeaway from today's episode and don't forget to tag us. Visit www.meetedgar.com and start a free trial to up-level your social media marketing strategy today. Happy posting.